0: That's why the 9 to 5 doesn't work because if you want the best work for me, you want me from 7 to 10. And my 7 to 10 is the equivalent of somebody else's 9 to 5. So which do you want?
1: Welcome to the Thought Theater Podcast. I'm John Stephen Sansel, and with me as always is Joel Goodman and today I am super excited because we have Amanda Goetz, the VP of Marketing for The Knot and Wedding Wire with us today and we have just a ton of things to talk to her about. We love to have guests from outside the world of higher ed to kind of get an outsider perspective on some of the issues that we face and I think that's incredibly useful to have and Amanda has just a ton of of knowledge and uh, so much to share with us. So welcome Amanda, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me i'm super excited to talk to you guys
1: so one thing i want to start off with and you know i first became aware of your work by following you on twitter and kind of following your story and i've I've gotten so much value from your account and learned so much but one thing i you know you've you've told this story before of how you were told that uh, you didn't have enough social influence to speak at a conference you were told this by the conference committee which is incredibly short-sighted uh, on the conference committee part. I, I, I've served on conference committees before and some, one something I would never tell somebody and, and wouldn't even c- consider. But it also, you know, you said that it kind of inspired you to start sharing your thoughts more on Twitter and, and kind of building a community there. So could you tell us a little bit more about that experience and what you've learned from from growing a community on Twitter?
0: Yeah, it was an interesting wake-up call because I am a brand marketer, so I understand the role influencers play in the industry and how we use influencers. But when it came to that specific conference around female empowerment and the specific topic was around, you know, building brands, et cetera, and you know, as a working mom, and I have 15 years of experience, and I like put a very thoughtful pitch together. And it came down to I didn't have enough followers on social media. And it really made me start to really think about the role of influencers, and then quality versus quantity, you know, Anyone can buy followers. You can have tons of followers on social media. But what does that actually mean? And so that was the first part. It was just like, okay, this is not right. Let's call attention to it. Let's talk about this. But then the introspective thing that happened to me was... I'm not doing my part in sharing what I know, what I think with the world. And I speak a lot now about the access gap for founders, for founders of underrepresented groups. For me, I speak a lot about female founders and there's this gap of access. Like I don't have the same access to male VCs just because I don't run in those circles where a lot of people who do run in those circles can just call anyone and be like, what do you think of this idea? Do you know someone? Connect me, right? So this idea of access gap and social media is like the one place. It's a level playing field. If you actually produce great content over and over and I saw this, like I just joined Twitter a year ago and it's been a focus of mine. I've stayed consistent, but the, the platform has rewarded it. my threads and and you see that my, my follower count grows as the more content I put out there. So I believe that there is truly a correlation with, the more you put yourself out there, the more access you will eventually have. Like you just said, we met through Twitter. I have gotten to speak on more podcasts, more speaking engagements that I wouldn't have access to because people didn't understand what I thought about, what I was passionate about. So on one side, it really fired me up, but on the other side, it actually proved to me what I needed to do and and I still don't believe that someone should judge someone by their follower count because until you've seen what they stand for and what their hot takes are or whatever it is, what what's behind the count, Then let's talk about it. And so, when I go to follow someone on Twitter, I don't even look at their follower account. I go straight to their feed and say, Is this someone that's like making me think? Do I agree with them? Do I not agree with them? Like, is it stimulating me? And that's when I choose to follow them, not based off their follower account. So, lots of thoughts there, but I just, it was a really interesting moment in my life, but it forced me to do some things that I probably wouldn't have done.
1: Yeah, uh, that's really interesting. I think that that's something, especially that consistency of doing it over and over again. And I totally agree about the follower count, especially, you know, for those of us kind of in very niche markets of like, you know, I I treat about higher ed at some point, there's a a plateau of like, okay, well, not (laughs) any more people are going to follow me to be interested. There's only a finite number of higher ed social media managers. You're Uh, so
0: right. I get that question a lot. They're like, like people ask me, what's my content strategy? Like, how do you figure out what you're gonna talk about? And they're like, I don't know a ton about marketing hot takes or whatever. And I'm like, listen, find your people, talk about what you're actually passionate about. Because if you need to tweet four times a day to grow your audience, it better be something that you actually know and care about and can speak at, at length. And so if that's like fly fishing, Start talking about fly fishing. Eventually, you're gonna find the people that love fly fishing, and you're gonna start engaging with them. And to me, engagement is way cooler than follower count. Like I love when I tweet something out, all of a sudden I have like all these female founders and moms that engage with it, and it's it's a smaller number, but it it meant something. It struck a chord with them. So I totally agree with you. It should definitely be about like the thing you actually care about
1: and, and then it, it validates that thing you care about too sometimes you know I tweet just because i'm having a problem and to see other people go i'm right in the same boat with you it's just okay i'm not isolated i'm not alone oh my gosh so,
0: that's the best thing yeah. about covid like twitter has been my like true community throughout COVID when you feel really alone and you're like, oh my gosh, this work from home thing with kids is really stressful. And then all of a sudden you feel like all these people are in the same boat as you. You're like, okay, we're all gonna get through this like (laughs) one by one.
1: Yeah, definitely. So kind of moving on a little bit, looking at some of the marketing for The Knot and The Wedding Wire, it really struck me how much in common the wedding industry has with higher ed how they're kind of both very aspirational and they're we're kind of selling what is a, a major transitional moment or, or time in the life of most people. So what do you think higher ed can learn from the wedding industry?
0: That's a really interesting question. So my response would be, so college isn't just about academics, right? And relationships aren't just about marriage. And I think the takeaway there is talking more about what it stands for. Like for the wedding industry, we talk more about self-love and empowerment and, and empowering people to marry who they want, when they want, how they want, and really if they want. We speak to people before they enter relationships to talk about like, hey, here are some things that you should really be thinking about understanding your triggers in a relationship or what gaps you have because of your childhood. Like there's so many things that you can talk about prior to someone hitting this like moment where it becomes transactional, right? We still show beautiful pictures about weddings, etc. But when you think about what you're selling, it, it's way more than just flowers and lighting and a photographer. Those are important things and that's like obviously how you know our a marketplace works but when you think about brand strategy and how you're going to be a brand that's relevant for people outside of even your addressable audience like even higher ed right yes you have a finite addressable audience only a certain number of people will be making a decision that year And same with weddings, right? We have a finite addressable audience. Only 1.4 million people will have a wedding this year. And I need a brand that can speak beyond that, that it's not just those people I'm speaking to, I'm speaking to the people that will be getting married over the next five years. So that way we can be top of mind. And I think that that's really important for higher ed, like you are not just selling we have the best professors we have this you're you're selling what that stands for and i think the similarity is a wedding is a manifestation of who you are it is truly like your brand personified in a moment to tell your family your friends like what you care about is it sustainability is it you know making sure that all your vendors are female owned whatever it is you're you're telling your family and friends, what you care about. And I think that probably is similar and tangential a little bit to higher ed, right? Like where you go to college does represent like a little bit of who you are and how do institutions maybe figure out and tap into those psychographic information a little bit more? That's, I guess my initial thoughts there.
1: I think that makes a ton of sense. I, you know, even kind of in my history at different universities I've worked for, you know, There's this very specific type of student that goes to it, you know, a Mm -hmm. Texas State University versus UT Austin, you know, like maybe we don't want to admit it as universities sometimes, but we're speaking to a a particular type of student and it does say something about them that they're going there for this or they're going to this, this, into this particular program. So yeah, I I think you're definitely, definitely on point on that.
0: and, And colleges need to understand what. Those stigmas for better, for worse, are. And if that is not what they want to stand for, then they have to go through a repositioning campaign, like a repositioning strategy. Like, what do you actually want to stand for? And how do you demonstrate that? How do you actually acquire people? I think it's really interesting. A lot of brands, because of Black Lives Matter, had this kind of wake up call. This is something that it wasn't as hard for the not because inclusivity and making sure that there's like representation of all people, um, of all races, of all genders, et cetera, on our feed. But I think a lot of people had this wake up call where diversity isn't just like, a black person and a white person and a, a you know a redhead and then it's you know an asian person you can't just do that because that's not true representation and we learned that many years ago talking to our black affinity groups at the knot of just like what does having black representation look like in our feed and a big call out was making sure that you see two black people getting married instead of you know having a black person and a white person gay married because that's not true diversity that's not true representation and and I think a lot of brands are scared to to do that at first and because if you weren't speaking authentically to the black community, you probably didn't have high engagement rates on those posts. And all of a sudden, we had to have this real discussion as a marketing industry to say, we don't care about engagement. We care about what you stand for. We had the same thing around same sex weddings, right? Every time we would post a gay couple, our engagement count would go down. And I would just be very firm with my team and say, I don't care about that. The more and more you make your brand a place where someone feels inclusive, eventually that will re-stabilize, but I don't care if we lose followers because we're posting what we believe in. And I think Black Lives Matter was finally a moment for brands to realize that, that you have to stand for something.
1: I'm very impressed with the amount of in- inclusivity and just the the representation in the marketing uh, that that y'all have, and you. you know, it, it's just right off the bat from you see when you see it, and it, it's in- it's incredibly impressive. And I know when my wife and I were u- using the knot when we got <laughs> married, you know, my wife is from China, and it was just it was so refreshing to to see couples that looked like us, you know, and represented in a way that didn't feel like it was just kind of playing to us. It was just yeah. a really it, it made an impact. Joel and I have talked about this about representation in higher ed in previous episodes, where I, I think a lot of higher ed leaders are afraid to, to, to do that a little bit, especially when it come, comes, you know, we're, we're both here in the South. So with LGBTQ plus representation and, and marketing material. So, so what would you, you say to a, a leader, whether in higher ed or not? who might be apprehensive about that or are a little bit nervous, what uh, what would you say to kind of encourage them to, to move forward there?
0: (laughs) I mean, I would just say it's 2020 and you're going going to lose relevance very quickly because this is table stakes, but I guess the more practical answer would be, this has to be ingrained in everything you do. And one thing that we did talk about, you know, because of Black Lives Matter is just, the fact that you have to obviously keep it top of mind, you have to set goals, like you have to have goals around diversity and inclusivity, but we realize you can't solve problems for a group of employees when you don't have that representation in the people making those decisions, right? So I say this all the time, there's so many people trying to create ed tech startups you know, for parents who don't have kids and they're not realizing the challenges i'm facing as a working mom because they're they don't understand because they they aren't experiencing what it's like to have toddlers running around while you're on zoom call and then having to have google hangouts for a first grader like all the things and the same goes for representation if you do not make a point to have leaders in your in whatever institution or, or company that you have that represent different types of people you're not fully ever going to be aware of what those people are facing, what challenges they're experiencing, how you need to set up different access points, whether it's a pipeline problem, is it you know an inclusivity problem, is it a harassment problem? Like what are the different problems that they're facing? You have to create a line of communication and a leader to champion that. And so I think that those are kind of the tactical things, but again, to go back to your point about like how is this how is this top of mind for the knot all the time like it was started the knot was founded by a multicultural couple and so they couldn't find resources for a half american half asian wedding and what customs what traditions so it it's literally what the knot was founded upon is cultural traditions and, and inclusivity and making sure that you feel seen and represented. And so it's in the DNA of the company. And I think a lot of companies need to rethink how their their DNA is structured. And if your DNA is off right now, you need to figure out how to kind of get a DNA transplant.
1: Yeah, I, I think for a lot of universities, I think they're dealing with that DNA transplant where we're seeing, you know, j- just even on our campus, we remove the name of,
2: of of a kind of shady figure from one of the buildings on campus. Yeah. And,
1: you know, I, kind of I take, just
2: hope it's you know. not superficial, though, JS. I mean, that the industry itself is so slow to change and so slow to realize its mistakes, or at least so slow to act on the deficiencies that it's had for decades and decades and decades mm-hmm. that, to some extent I I mean I just I worry that I worry that it's it's window dressing right it's well black lives matter happened so we got to do something otherwise we're gonna have another PR thing and but it's it's not actually affecting the DNA you know I I don't think in this case fake it till you make it really works Mm -hmm. right you know my my mom used to say if you act enthusiastic then you'll be enthusiastic like, it's, I don't think that works in this case. You can't you can you can't act like you're not racist, but not change anything on the inside, or or you know act like you're welcoming and inclusive of all sorts of people, but then not actually practice that internally
1: to play
0: off
2: of amanda's
1: analogy it's almost like you know they're dying their hair rather than getting a dna change (laughs)
0: yeah right Yeah. yeah i think the performance like any kind of performance marketing and i don't mean that as like growth but like being performant around black lives matter is a thing that you saw a lot of brands a lot of influencers get canceled on it's like oh you posted a black box and then you went back to your like travel pics the next day and then we also saw a lot of companies who posted the black box, said they did a donation, and then that was all we ever heard from them again. We, it, it was really important for us that we we took a moment and we cared less about what we were going to say externally. And first we wanted to make sure like our house was in order. Like how can you at all look around and speak publicly if you don't know if your house is in order? And so. We actually, our executive team went on listening tours for weeks just to make sure they were listening to everyone and figuring out what are all the possibilities of things we could do. Because again, to my point, if you if you don't have like black leadership, if you don't have other races as leaders, you can't speak on behalf of those groups. And so going on these listening tours opened up a lot of eyes to say, wow, there's so much more we could do. How do we actually formulate this into our OKRs and our company mission and our company plan? And so then it was time to then say, okay, let's structure this into kind of three North Stars. And tactics aside, what are we goaling ourselves on? And then putting goals associated with it. And so that's where I think a lot of companies and we, we never need, needed to share that publicly because it was more about like our house and making sure that we are cleaning up our house first and i think a lot of companies just did the donation thing and called it a day versus saying we can do more we always we i mean everyone growth is an ongoing thing there's no self-actualization we're constantly growing like Let's, let's actually take a moment to figure out like, how are we gonna goal ourselves and hold ourselves accountable for these things? And that's what I would just say to, uh, to institutions as well. Like if your goal is to you know call it, you wanna have 20% more black applicants to your college next year, like now you can formulate a tactic and a lot of tactics to figure out how to hit that goal. You're not assigning just tactics, you're saying, This is our goal. Now let us go develop a plan to meet that goal.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
2: Hands in the air. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, at this I, point, I, I want to give a plug for our previous episode with Eddie Francis, because there are a lot of really practical ways that especially predominantly white institutions mm-hmm. can show that they care about their black communities. And that that's one of those things that will very quickly help you, you know, be it's 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 an authenticity thing. like it'll help you reach out to you know those people and help you achieve those goals for growing growing at least that part of the diversity of your campuses
1: in, in addition to the topic of diversity, just putting goals first and in, in, in everything that we do. I think this is a, an issue that we kind of face in higher ed where we kind of put the cart before the horse and are not really sure what our goals are. and i I've heard you mention m- many times in several interviews that at, at at the knot you value outcomes over output. Mm-hmm. And every time I, I, I've heard you said that, I, I just, I perk up. I'm like, I have write that down. That's, you know, that's so, so vital. So it strikes me as a philosophy that higher ed could learn so much from, because I think we do the opposite a lot of times. So can you explain that philosophy a little bit more and how it works in action?
0: Yeah, I mean, I started my career in professional services. So I was at the, you know, accounting firm where the person who was still there at 9 p.m. got like the bonus and they were just seen as the best, hardest, most dedicated person because they were still there and they weren't living their life. And I honestly just think that that's just bullshit. Like, honestly, I pride myself in efficiency. Like that is why I'm able to, you know, have three kids, have a full-time job, start a company on the side. Like I pride myself in being able to focus, finish, do a lot of work in a short amount of time. And the fact that any company is still thinking that output is the same as an outcome is so off. And so what does this look like in practice? When you think about outcomes, you have to have measurable goals. And this is where OKRs become so important. And OKR means objective and key results. Nowhere in that says tactic. So I think to your point, a lot of people jump to let's do, I'll speak in marketing speak, but they'll say, let's do this campaign. Let's give everybody 500 kits and we'll see how many people tweet about this or post about it. It'll be awesome. And then you do the campaign and we say, was it successful? And someone's like, yeah, I think it was pretty successful. And all of a sudden you're like, but how? And so in the very beginning, before you start any conversation around tactics, you need to say, what's the objective? is our objective to grow our social following by 20%. Okay, so we want to to actually make this into an OKR session. Your objective would actually be increase brand awareness by increasing our social following. Your key result is a 20% increase in followers. So now you've said what the objective is, high level North Star objective. Okay, I wanna increase brand awareness because I'm gonna increase my followers. as measured by 20% increase in followers. Great. You give that to the person responsible for that and you assign them responsible for that OKR. Now they are in charge of figuring out the strategy. What, How am I going to do that? What is the right way? And this is where a lot of companies mess up. they They tell their channel owners what to do instead of letting experts actually do the thing that you hired them to do.
2: Sounds familiar. Um,
0: <laughs> 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 and so I will say, to my, you know, head of social media, here's your OKR for the quarter, and you and you do OKRs together. Like you want buy-in, obviously, and then we align on strategy. Okay, what are the levers you think that we should pull to hit this? And then, then you let somebody go. Like you do check-ins to make sure that they have the resources they need. That they, if they need support, are there roadblocks? But otherwise, they know where they're going. You gave them the destination. And it's up to them to get there by the time you told them to. And now I can let them breathe and work. They can schedule their day, how they want. We will have our check-ins. There will be team meetings, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't need to micromanage because there's no confusion on where we're going, you will meet you there. And so I think a lot of people still get caught up in being a part of the tactic conversation without clear destinations. And that causes way more output than is necessary.
1: Yeah, I, I think that problem is just it's just rampant in higher ed. I I think you get a lot of not not just leaders in in you know C-suite, but you know from directors of admissions to alumni services. They see a campaign that the university down the street's doing, and they just want that rather than thinking about the goal behind that or the reason reasoning there, uh, and kind of getting everybody on on board with being goal centric first. Is always a struggle, and, and again, not just at you
2: know any university that I may work at, but all throughout higher ed. It's just it's just uh, part of the profession. This happens when working with vendors too. I mean, like you'll hire an agency, a university will hire an agency, and pay them, you know, a hundred thousand, couple hundred thousand dollars to to work on some big marketing piece, whether it's their website or a campaign or whatever, and then you know, the, the people that know what to do, like people that you're paying a ton of money for their expertise come to you with the best possible strategy to get to where you want. And it gets messed up because someone internally has some feeling about it. And, you know, I can't, can't begin to imagine how much money universities just throw away because they aren't trusting the experts, whether internally or externally to accomplish the goals that have been set out
0: i think that that's a really interesting point and one that if you don't know who you are and you haven't done the work to truly understand what you stand for and it goes back to this like idea of what do you stand for what do you care about what do you want to be known for if you haven't done that identity work then you're a plastic bag you know floating in the wind that you will go whatever direction oh this other competitor this other college did this that looks cool that seems to be working for them let's do that you are not that same like no two company is the same even if you are exact same product and trying to hit the same you know demo you have different founder stories you have different cultures like you in different voices you innately have a different You know identity than the next person and i think that's to me when i hear that that's an identity problem they haven't done the work to truly know who they are and what they stand for and then they can be swayed by a one person being like i feel like maybe we should do this other thing and everybody's like sure that sounds good i don't know i don't care
1: (laughs) i've been in that meeting a few
0: times (laughs) (laughs) we've all been in that meeting in our careers
1: (laughs) One of the the major reasons, you know, other than than just the fact that I I think everything that you tweet and what you do is awesome, one that you on the podcast (laughs) is recently you tweeted, college isn't all about the curriculum. Is a training wheels for life, learn to live on your own, navigate social circles, get jobs, self-motivate, self-care, et cetera. I would never pay full tuition when these soft skills aren't a part of the online college experience. And with so many of us going online or partly online in, in the fall, I, I, I think you're, you're, you're right. And this is a sentiment I hear from a lot of Parents, as, as I do my social listening, saying, hey, why am I paying full tuition if they're not getting this or, you know, if this class is online? Uh, so what do you think universities who are, are going online this fall can do to give their students some of these skills or, or you know, is that even possible?
0: Wow. Yeah, I didn't I, I wasn't actually <laughs> thinking about from the college perspective. I was just like, I. So I'm a first-generation college grad, so neither of my parents went to college and I had to pay for college. And so I just was like thinking about, could I actually have justified spending my own money or going into that much debt? And it just got me thinking about what college meant to me. Like it was where I had to, I was forced to learn to network. I had to get jobs to, you know, have spending money. You were forced to have a regimen that was dictated by yourself versus by, you know, an eight to three class schedule. And Also just like learning self-care, no one's feeding you anymore. You have to feed yourself. And so some of these things just come honestly, maybe I can split track them and say, they actually probably come more from living on your own versus college. Like college was the means to that end, right? Because you go to college that's not next to your parents, you are forced to live alone. And so one way colleges could think about this is, you know, are they subsidizing their housing? Like, are they thinking about ways to to bring people in? Like obviously social distancing, can we trust college kids to actually do this? That's a separate issue. I don't wanna touch that with a 10 foot pole, but, but, like,
2: Neither do a lot of colleges right now. <laughs> I've I'm, been talking about it a lot on Twitter.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, listen, <laughs> is it is it the right thing from a global pandemic perspective? But just to answer your your question, I do think that a lot of these things come with living on your own and not having your your parents feed you, tell you what insurance to get, you know, help you coach you through life things like even relationships, navigating relationships and breakups and, and like learning about yourself. So I think understanding how to bring those to the forefront, if somebody is still living at home, whether that's enhancing curriculum to be more about financial planning, are they adding new courses around relationship, health and wellness, like does therapy or, you know, other things that are not just core academics come into play? Because, you know, I've learned more from going to therapy for four years than I probably have in all of education because self-work helps me to understand more about my triggers, how to be better in relationships, et cetera. And so that'd be one area that Again, I'm like Monday morning quarterbacking. But as I think about any advice I'd give is thinking about areas outside of just general curriculum that you can support a full rounded human that may not be getting those same day-to-day tactical lessons. You know, like I don't have to force myself to eat a healthy breakfast because mom just made me eggs. But what does health mean? And it goes back to setting OKRs. We want to make sure maybe an OKR is like, we want to make sure our students grow in, you know, emotional intelligence or, or health and wellness. And as measured by 60% of our, our students enroll in this new thing around financial planning or, you know, healthy eating or meditation or... You know, there, there, I think that there could be ways that you could measure against how am I, I'm looking at each student as a full person, not just a academic need, if that makes sense.
2: Hypothetical. Mm-hmm. So let's say a university decides not to open on campus. They're going all online, at least for the next year. Mm-hmm. And there is a big uproar about why I shouldn't have to pay full price like I'm not I'm not getting all of the all of the added benefits and extracurriculars the the college experience so to speak if I'm really just learning at home I think it's a totally valid standpoint for anyone to have, and it's, I mean, a college education is kind of a product, but it's a product of a lot of different facets. It's not just the degree that you're getting, and so the price should match what's there. So I think maybe where the gap is, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Amanda, I think maybe the gap is that universities, higher ed, doesn't tend to talk about their product in terms of value, right? They tend to sell it as, well, yes, you're paying tuition, and tuition is covering, well, you actually don't know what tuition is covering. You think tuition is covering a well, the degree. One,
0: well, that's one you know, issue. They could create more pricing transparency.
2: And then you've got room and board. Mm-hmm. But then the other problem is that most don't talk about the actual value, which is what comes from having that degree in terms of professional prospects and career yeah. prospects going forward. And. I don't know. I think I think it's a messaging problem. I think it's definitely a, a marketing problem, as well as just just a, a lack of transparency and and maybe maybe just a lack of sensitivity around how people actually react to pricing and brand messaging and value based messaging. I think that's one of those weird gaps that higher ed has on its on its marketing front.
0: It could be a feature gap as well. So mm. if if they've only been focused on the four years that they have the person and not what happens after they leave the college campus, meaning yeah. alumni relations, you know, career coaching, and like maintaining that relationship. To your point, like what does it actually? What is yeah. the value? And if somebody is having trouble with that value, and actually creating messaging around the value, because you can say. You know, going to our school will lend you the best opportunities. I'm going to ask how. Like right. how, how are you different than your competitor, and what are you set up? And I think that that's probably where there's feature gaps, right? Like yeah, there they we don't have enough of a program or like a concrete relational track to say that. And I can like, I mean. I have not tapped my alumni group from my college ever for my career. Like, more, it's more just like, oh, you're from the Midwest, Big Ten. Yay, (laughs) cool. But I don't hear from my college ever. And how do you prove that you will? And I don't see, like, as many colleges active on social media and what are they standing for. Like, I don't even follow my own college on social yeah. media which now is like now i'm thinking about that i'm like that's crazy but to me that that's a gap that's a feature gap and so they're probably struggling with value-based messaging because they don't have the features to support those values
2: yeah and i think you're right i think i think it also comes down to a uh, very closely aligned with that just it's there's a lack of awareness of life cycle management in terms of yep. who your customer is who you know who your students are because you're starting you were saying earlier with with the work that you have to do in the wedding industry to start cultivating those people five years before they're actually ready to get married or you know or participate that's like institutions are kind of doing that like they'll start talking to freshmen in high school (laughs) sort of a thing and maybe a little bit early but but that can help so like they start to do that and then they get them to up to the point of where they deposit and then honestly you come on campus and I don't know. I've talked to more, I've talked to more people that have gone to college and had a really, you know, pretty terrible experience on campus compared to the mm-hmm. other sorts of experiences that they have. And, and so like you have cool, great experience, wined and dined until you get your deposit in until you get on campus. And it's like, it and left. <laughs> yeah, you feel bait and switched. And then, and then you get to the alumni point. Do you, do you want to give back? Do you want to donate to your alma mater? Right. Uh, And are you even asked in the right ways? Like, no, you don't really know.
0: Well, and in exchange for what, because at that point you're you, it it feels like a transaction of like, you owe us now. Like we gave you this education, like, oh, give back. And I think that that is a repositioning thing. You, is it an investment towards maintaining relationships? Like I'm a part of chief executive network. And like, to me, that is my new sorority. Yeah. That is where I am going to find people that I should connect with that I can ask questions to that I can get coaching from like I get executive coaching all these things like what what are the features that you're getting and why am I continuing to pay what what value am I getting now I like every time I'm hit up for a donation it feels like because you came here. And you probably still, you probably have money, right? Like you have a job. So give us some of that. And I'm like, why? And I, th- I truly think now more than ever, the donation piece, they should really think about educating people on how they're using those donations now to build out those feature sets that prove the value of why you should do the online education.
1: Hmm. And while we're on that topic too, you, you, you've talked a little bit about about this too, and, and how the Greek system could better help alumni with networking and, and even mm. pivot and, and, and replace the Greek system, which
0: I did yeah, say that. Hot there's day. a lot of talk.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm all for this hot take. It, it's a discussion. <laughs> I, I think it's a conversation that, that needs to be be had because the, there are many good things about the Greek system, and there are many negatives that go along with it that that you know universities have to weigh, but be replaced by something better that would focus on empowerment and fostering startups and entrepreneurship. Which I know so many universities are really kind of jumping on this, uh, jumping mm-hmm. on the startup bandwagon and and and, and creating creating spaces for startups. But are they doing it well yet? Right? Higher ed incubators. Mm. the the time has really come Uh, so could you elaborate a little bit more on how what what you might envision on that what what universities could do to 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 help and support foster that 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 spirit of entrepreneurship in students
0: yeah so my tweet was a, a hot take on where i thought the wing missed out on an opportunity because the wing tried to be everything to everyone and and the fact that it had like is speaking to just out of school, co working, you know, freelance type people to like, oh, we also have a daycare. You can't authentically speak to that many cohorts at once, especially out of the gate. And so I think that if I could turn back the time and I had control over the wing, I would have created a new sorority alternative. Because sororities stand for, look, I was in a sorority. And I had to deactivate because I got engaged in college, which is a whole nother podcast. But but I had to deactivate <laughs> because they're they're built on very, very old rules in it. Like that was from pre-war day rules, right? So I believe that there is an opportunity for whether it happens at the institutional level or I honestly think that this is a massive business opportunity where you create the sorority fraternity alternative that allows for access to funding, you know, incubators, lots of mentorship. And when you get out of college, you know, have these whether they're co-working spaces or they just are virtual or digital um, communities, you're already bought into it and you're ingrained in it and you understand what it stands for. There's been so many, I mean, you see it with like Girl Boss and The Wing and all these different communities pop up. They're trying to acquire people later in the funnel and i think that there's an opportunity to get somebody in the beginning and and grow with them and so then eventually as they start to have kids you you graduate into that next phase of whatever that looks like but it needs to start at the college level because that's when you just are exploring like to me in a perfect world if i was starting this they'd have access to like you know if i was thinking specifically for women and again i know i'm talking to two men here but like Access to, you know, fertility education. Like, let's talk about that. You probably have a lot of questions around what the next 10 years of your life are going to look like. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about therapy. Let's give you access to therapy. We all know that in, in college, you probably had your most tumultuous relationships where you had the most insane emotional swings cause you like the craziest shit happens in college. And so let's give you access to therapists to like work through that stuff. Let's give you access to executive coaching to understand like, what kind of leader are you gonna be? You don't have to be a cookie cutter leader. Like let's learn about you and, and formulate your leadership style. If you have an idea, let's teach you what it means to take it from zero to one. How do we give you access? Do we bring speakers in? But that can happen on a multi campus level. And so that's why I think like I, I would love for an institution to do it, but I just truly think it's a massive business opportunity for someone.
1: I'd go back to college for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean... If I wasn't already starting a company, that's what I would be doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this has been absolutely amazing. Like we, I could I go on for another hour, but I know you've got a million things to do. And so <laughs> So Amanda Gets, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today, and I know we got a lot out of it, and I know our audience will. So, do you have any plugs? You know, where can people find you?
0: I mean, yeah, if you are on Twitter, that is where I'm the most active. But you can follow me on Twitter, Amanda M Gets, or Instagram if you want to get more behind the scenes of my life as kind of a crazy mom right now um, with my three littles traveling around and going back to New York City. Follow me on Instagram, which is just gets AM G O E T Z. And yeah, look, be on the lookout. I'm starting a new company on the side and it's around female empowerment. So be on the lookout.
2: Can't wait to hear about it
0: awesome. Thanks guys.
2: Thank you so much for listening to the Thought Feeder podcast. We really appreciate your ears and your time. If you like listening to this podcast, please leave us a rating or review on Apple podcasts, follow us on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. You can find us. I promise if I break that promise, let me know. And I will tr- try my best to fulfill it once again for you. We want to thank Amanda gets for being with us one more time. Thank you so much, Amanda. This was an excellent, amazing, and very helpful conversation
0: thank you guys it was awesome
2: thought feeder is a production of university insight